Welcome to the BJU Press Teacher Edition Podcast, where Christian educators are encouraged and inspired as we bring you interviews, practical ideas, strategies, and answer your questions about teaching in today's culture. And here's your host, Jenny Copeland. It's that time again. We're back with another fantastic topic for you. Today, we're going to talk about play in learning. Unfortunately, those terms are often kept too far apart from each other, but actually they really do make a powerful duo. But before I introduce our guest and jump into that topic, I just wanted to thank those of you who have taken time to subscribe to the podcast. And for those of you who might be joining us for the first time, welcome. We want to encourage you to follow us on social media. We are Teacher Edition Podcast on Facebook, and you can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Teacher Edition Pod. That's Teacher Edition Pod. I'm really enjoying the questions that are coming our way. For those of you who, again, might be new, at the end of our episodes, we take time to share and answer questions that have been submitted. So we've had some really great questions come our way and from a variety of age groups and situations. So I want to encourage you, take a minute to submit a question through our website. It really only takes a minute. So just hop on, click record, and leave your question. If you have a funny story or a classroom blessing to share, you can send those to us as well. And all that can be found on our website, teachereditionpodcast.com. So go take a look. So let's talk play. I am so excited to have Rebecca Ulrich with us today. So welcome on the show, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So Rebecca has been a preschool teacher for 10 years. And by the way, If you don't teach preschool, this episode is still for you. Do not click off. This is a topic that affects education widely. So Rebecca has some great training and experience in this area, and you're not going to want to miss this. She has a degree in early childhood education interdisciplinary studies, and she has just surrounded herself with children for years. (laughs) In addition to teaching, she's been a classroom aide, a substitute teacher, a church nursery and preschool coordinator, and has just generally worked in a number of children's ministries. So she brings a lot of experience to the table today. Rebecca loves to read, and I hear rumor of hundreds of children's books in her collection. So I'll maybe have to check with her on that. Okay, it's confirmed. She loves to garden. I've seen her garden. And she also loves to go thrift shopping with her girls, and they are middle and high school age. So They also love to travel, especially up to New England, to visit their old stomping grounds and her family, of course. So, Rebecca, let's jump in and start unpacking this idea of play and learning. I'm guessing right now each of our listeners has an idea in their minds of what we mean by play. And I think we come by that honestly. We are influenced by how we're raised, how we played, how our children play, what's considered fun to us personally, and it just goes on and on. So we can best explore this topic. Let's start with the foundation of what is play. So Rebecca, how would you define play? All right. Well, first of all, we know that children gravitate towards play. So when we think of play, we don't have to teach play to children. They're just going to do it. They're going to find that moment to play. They're wired to play. Um, Basically, these are moments that you don't have to usually create. They create them themselves. Um, But really, to come down to a definition of play, it really is an open-ended time that a child is given the opportunity to explore, to be creative, just to think outside of the box. And like you said, it is time that is considered fun. It is time that children tend to enjoy. But one of the things we tend to kind of separate from play is that word learning. We tend to think of instructional time learning. We tend to think of playtime is just fun and enjoyable, but 
they all go together because truthfully, well, learning is enjoyable, I think personally. So play, therefore, for a child is learning and it's so valuable. So in early childhood education, being in early childhood education, I've had to think about the way I look at play. I Often we think of, oh, as a teacher, we give a lot of time to that instructional time or to these small group activities. And then we get to play time or we call it center time in my classroom where the students go and they interact with center time. And we can, as teachers, tend to step back and just kind of let go. Well, that's true. And that's okay to do that to some extent. But the more we understand how valuable playtime is, the more we're going to facilitate our classrooms and those opportunities for children to engage in a rich type of play. And so one of the things that I encourage all educators to do, you have to value it. You have to value it. And if you step back and really take time, I do a lot of observing in my classroom. I observe all the time. And one of the areas I love to observe the most is playtime because I learn so much about where the child's at academically, where they're at with their skills. That's probably one of the things that I'm doing the most those first weeks of school, especially, is watching how a child engages in play because they are going to reflect what they are learning. They're going to be practicing those skills in playtime. So truly playtime, if I had to give it a definition, it's an open-ended time that children really just get to practice the skills and the things that they're learning. And you see them basically portrayed in what in what they're doing. Um, and I love it because it also helps me to get to know the child faster because you really see the child reflected in that playtime, their interests, their likes, dislikes, what they enjoy doing. So, yeah, that's excellent. That really helps to clarify. So let's take the next step. Now that we know what play is, let's if we can loop back around, you started to mention some of the values of play. So let's unpack that some more. I'm guessing that you as I have seen parents on both sides of this discussion. So I've had parents upset at me because there is playtime during the school day. And their argument is that they're paying for a child to be taught and play can be done at home. And on the other side, I've had parents upset that students are having to sit and listen and they're not playing enough while at school. So in both of these, I think it's really important to understand the value of play. So let's jump into your thoughts more on that. Well, <laughs> that's a good thought because I hear that one all the time too. Um, I think one of the things you have to remember, and I, this is something I have to educate parents on as well, too, and I talk to them a lot about this at the beginning of the school year, about my centers. I even put up sometimes signs in my center times. You can find a lot of them on, on various resources that will list off various skills that that child is developing and learning in those various centers and those various forms of play. Um, first of all, we know children, like for skill-wise, they're, they have to explore, they have to learn. The more senses that a child is engaging, the more they're engaging up here. So when I set up my classroom, I put a lot of thought into that. Like when, I don't want to just throw a few toys for entertainment. And I think that's where we get confused on that definition because we think tend to think of play as just goof off time entertainment. But when you redefine it and you understand the skills, then it completely changes it. So you think of the creativity that a child has to develop in playtime. They have to think outside the box. Um, that's why it's important to give open-ended time and long periods of time because they need to get those juices going and be thinking. Think about like the cognitive skills that they're developing. They have to think. Sometimes they have to practice reason. Mathematics. I have children every single day, you know, block time. You have to count, you have to work on balance, you have to work on structure. So when you begin to define those skills, 
You have to help the children learn them. I even help my students learn. Like, what are you learning during this play time? What is it that you're doing? Asking questions. Parents are the same way. You think of uh, social skills. For I think for the younger grade levels, that's a huge one. One of the number one things I hear all the time from parents is, I signed my child up for preschool because I want them to develop their social skills. Whew, that's a big one. And they're right because play, you see developmentally, you know, children, when they first start playing, they play a lot independently. And then once you start hitting the ages where I'm teaching, you know, four and five-year-olds, that's where it's transitioning from independent, kind of just paralleling play to now they're really having to learn to interact and have a more cooperative play. Well, that's huge. Social skills are huge and playtime is the best time to do it because they're not going to get that during instructional time and sitting. They're not going to get those opportunities. So they need to get them during these playtimes. So I think of like waiting, taking turns. Um, that's hard for little children. You think of list. They have to learn to listen to others. They have to work through maybe the emotion of they don't get this toy right away or they don't get to do this first or they don't get to just do their own idea. They have to share ideas or they have to work together on one thing. They have to use self-control <laughs> and they can't, you know, burst out and just act out anyway. They have to learn to take use their communication and interact. Um, I think of them having to learn to cooperate and even show empathy towards others. So socially, huge. And what better time to do that than playtime? If you take that away, then you're taking away all those opportunities for social interaction. So when those parents come to me and they say, oh my goodness, I'm signing my child up for social interaction, but there's a lot of playtime going on. I'm going, huh, they kind of go hand in hand. You need both of them. You need that time for them to be able to do it. Uh, I also think of communication skills. I We do a lot of teaching in our classroom. We teach a lot of words. We teach a lot of ideas. Well, children need the opportunity to practice them. And I often hear, you know, even after I'll teach a lesson, then we'll go into a playtime and I'm hearing the kids using those words and practicing them or practicing other words they may have heard at home or whatever. But they need those opportunities to interact. And what better way to do that than at playtime? They're also hearing from others. You know, they're try they're hearing new thoughts or having to um, communicate clearly, which makes them have to think a lot harder during that play time. They can't just maybe play they want to independently and in interacting. Uh, I already had mentioned kind of the mathematics, you know, it comes down to problem solving, uh, counting, measuring, sorting. Well, I can't just teach that concept all day. Okay, we're going to count these numbers. We're going to sort. We're going to, you know, do patterns. I cannot tell you the number of times I see children in different centers practicing the very skills that I have spent my day teaching to them. And uh, they obviously are also practicing other skills that they're getting at different points in their life. Think of um, fine motor skills, gross motor skills. Yes, gross motor skills can be practiced on a playground. They're going to need that time being outdoors, that physical activity, but also just the ability to move around a classroom, to interact with toys. They need that hand-eye coordination. Um they need to uh, be able to develop all those fine motor skills, which is why I have tons of small toys and various sizes and things that they can inter interact with because it's just so important. So, yeah, there are endless lists, <laughs> endless lists of skills that go hand in hand with playtime. Um, I think that and I couldn't even I couldn't even touch on all of them. But I do encourage educators like if this is something that like you've said at the beginning, you know, if you're having parents coming to you saying, playtime, there's maybe too much of it, or that's not what I'm paying for. 
it's a great time to educate, especially with the younger children. A great time. A lot of our what our job is is helping parents to understand the value of what their child is learning, and play is just a huge part of what we do in the early child classroom. So, yeah, absolutely. These are excellent. So who knew that so much was going on during a playtime, right? And I think that this really gives us a solid framework for why play needs to happen. It isn't a waste of time. It's very necessary. And, you know, I can't help but think, I know you teach four and five-year-olds, but this just trickles all the way up. And I know we're going to talk about that a little bit more. But as you're talking, I'm just thinking all the different skills that you're talking over and over of how they practice their skills in play all the way up. And I mean, I remember even as a child going home and playing school. And what did we do? We repeated what we had learned that day. And of course, all the different things that our teacher said and who they dealt with and things like that. So it is so true. Even at all different ages, just that interaction, they are practicing what they're learning. So I love that. I I do wish more of this understanding of play was prevalent when I was in school. I, I tend to remember hours of listening with very little movement or interactivity and just so little playtime at school. So I'm glad that we're talking about this. As in anything, how it's carried out, of course, makes the difference. So I mentioned play not being a waste of time, but I suppose if it's not intentionally directed, play can really be less effective than its potential. So this is a careful balance, as most things are. We don't want to schedule their play down to the detail but we want to guide it. And I think earlier you mentioned the word facilitate. And I think that's a really, really good word. So maybe we could park there. Rebecca, I would love it if you could give us just some very practical strategies, take us right down in the classroom where we can use this. Our listeners can walk away with something they can use today. What are some practical strategies and ideas for making playtime valuable? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. Um, First of all, time. Time is absolutely crucial. I know I, this is something I talk about a lot with my fellow co-teachers all the time about giving time to playtime. It can be very easy to want to kind of cut it short, especially if playtime may not be going well or there's various challenges. We've talked about the social skills so we know socially playtime can be challenging and there has to be a lot of facilitating with those. But time is really important, especially with the younger children. It can take a little while to, for a child to fully engage in a good quality playtime and for those skills to really have time to begin to play out. And we don't want to cut that too short. So first thing I would encourage is time. Um, I would also, you have to think about your environment. You have to think about your space. And this is going to be a hard one. This is one that I, when you talk to teachers, it can be frustrating because we're all dealing with different classroom setups. We're dealing with really large classrooms or really small classrooms, or people say, I don't have a lot of storage space, or I don't have this. How do you have all the things that you need to support a good quality playtime. Well, the great part about being a teacher is we can be creative. So we have to think outside the box. So sometimes you will have to, it might look different from classroom to classroom. I had one classroom before that had a huge space in an outdoor patio for playtime. It was fantastic. It came to another classroom. It was a little smaller. I had to think outside the box, but I can tell you my playtime is no different between the two classrooms that I had. It's just about how you set it up and facilitate it. So, um, Time, environment. Uh, when I speak of environment, obviously a safe environment. Children need to feel safe. The only time you're going to have a child perform well or do well in anything is if they have a safe environment. I know that sounds simple, but you have to have it even in playtime. They have to be safe. It has to be welcoming, aesthetically pleasing. Uh, you have to have it set up to support the child's age level. If you have a setup that is 
geared towards older children, they're going to be frustrated. You're going to have to jump in more. You want to provide as open-ended and as welcoming of a playtime so that they'll really engage without you having to jump in and facilitate. Not that we don't need to. We should. We should be there. We should be observing. We do need to jump in. We do need to help. I do it all the time. But we do want to encourage that independence. We want to encourage them to be able to just feel comfortable and settle in. If they don't, oftentimes they will stand back and they'll be very hesitant. And I do see that a lot. Also, materials. I call them materials with my kids because I tend to stay away from the word toys. Um, Not that that's a bad word. I do have toys in my classroom, but I call them materials in my classroom. My students call them as well because I'm trying to encourage them to have a more open-ended idea that they can use these things to be creative, that it's not just a closed-end toy. You know, we have enough of those at home, these big plastic toys that do one thing, and there's nothing wrong with that. But in the classroom, I want to provide materials, as I call them, that allow and support their creativity exploring. When we talked about those, when I said about those skills, about the counting and the math, well, if you have something that only does one thing, not that like, not that I don't have those things, but I want to have as much variety as I can so that they can do as much exploring as they can. So I have a lot of open-end things. You know, I have blocks. I have magnetiles, my block center, for example, and it's just one of many examples. I have tons of things in my block center. I have everything from, yes, the typical people, animals, cars. But then I think outside of the box, I had pieces of wood and recyclables and tubes. I want to give them as many resources. Now, just to clarify, I do have some teachers that ask me, do you give the children all these materials at the start of the year? The answer is absolutely not. Um, I start small with my um, center time. I begin with the basics. I introduce the center well. And it does. It takes, in order to build good quality playtime in the classroom, you have to start with instruction. Bottom line, you have to start with instruction. If you just throw them in the center, it's going to be chaos. So at the beginning of the start of my year, and it takes several weeks, we work through talking about, hey, what is it going to look like during our playtime? I try to ask them questions about Hey, how, how could you utilize this center? What are you going to do with these materials? What could you do with it? Because I want them thinking before they go into playtime. So they're not just going in, dumping toys on the floor, having throwing matches. I want them to be intentional. So I have to be intentional as a teacher in introducing every single thing I have in that classroom. So I do. I go around from center to center and we introduce each center and we talk about how we can use it. Once I... F- build that foundation at the start of the school year, then I go back and I begin to introduce and begin to add and, you know, change things around. And it may look different from classroom to classroom. I had one year I had wasn't able to do as much this past year. I went crazy. I could do all sorts of things with this classroom. They were so respectful and they did some deep engaging play. And so I was able to just layer on at all of the materials and things that I had. So Materials are really important. And of course, just supporting that open-ended. So the more that you can do in presenting, you know, even safety-wise, there's some things that if I was just to throw in and say, oh, okay, have fun. Well, you know, somebody's going to get hurt or something's going to happen. So you may need to talk over safety. How are we going to use these things? So the more that you can do to like engage the child at the beginning and help them learn but then be able to kind of let them go and see how they do with it. So that's one of the biggest things that I think is so important when you are having playtime in your classroom. We have this idea that playtime is free and fun and just open-ended and hands-off. Yes, we should get to that point, 
but it doesn't just happen overnight. It actually takes transitioning into that as well. And I keep using that word facilitate. And you have to think of yourself as the teacher during those playtimes as a facilitator, you know, and it really helps a lot because you don't always want to jump in right away. You want to stand back as for as long as you can. Let those children work through those social skills and problem solve as much as they can. Don't always jump in and give them the answer. Sometimes it'd be easier to do that. Or I love what you're doing. Let me show you. No, 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 no. Give them time to learn because it's going to stick with them long term if they can really just play and interact. So yeah, I would just say some of the big things that when it comes to um, facilitating play, it's going to come time to your time, your space, how you present it to, to the students. Also, the um, the materials, what it is that you're going to put into your classroom, and then just helping be that facilitator, whether it be interacting from the beginning or just stepping in as needed. So, no, I think that's fascinating. And you know, these same principles again. I was thinking as you're talking about them, they apply to the older students as well. There is learning in movement and in creativity and intentionality, and I love how you. Don't just send them out to do something. You've thought through it. You explain it to them. You set the parameters and then you set them free. And even older students, they need that too. They need a time to move and to interact and to even that social aspect with their friends. And we say play for the youngers, but maybe there's more sophisticated term for the elder students. But that interaction is so valuable at all levels. And I just love that. And I know even I was thinking parents at home, these are things that they could mirror there and where there's students with a struggle that can be helped with play in so many areas. So these are fantastic. I don't know if you have any other comments or wrap up thought. Um, one other common thing that I was thinking of too, you know, I don't want to give the impression that play should only, you know, I keep using that word open-ended, more of a free time. Play should be that. There also is um, benefits to teachers utilizing play in trying to help develop a skill. Now, I don't try to do that all the time. I don't try to always control and micromanage play, and that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. But there, sometimes in what I place out, I strategically place things out that I know may be supporting the lesson that I'm trying to teach in order to help that child develop that skill. So there is intentionality in what I'm placing out sometimes as well, too. It doesn't have to just be a bunch of random toys. There may be something that I'm trying to help them develop, and I hope they'll take it that direction. Sometimes I'll go a different direction with it. Sometimes children will practice those skills. So yes, open-ended time and free time, yes, absolutely. But I encourage teachers not to be afraid to you know, facilitate those times of play to help support whatever it is that they're working on in the classroom as well. So yeah, for sure, for sure. I really appreciate your insights. These are great. And I appreciate the time to pick your brain because these these are the things we need to rethink. You know, it's easy just students free to do something. And you've given us so many great ideas of how to really make that a focused and very effective, useful time. So I appreciate you letting us pick your brain. You've been really helpful. Before we wrap up today's episode, I would like to share a question that came in actually on the topic of play. I think it's an excellent question. So let's listen in. This is Kelly from Kingsport, Tennessee, and I was wondering if it's okay for kids to just want to play by themselves, like at recess or free times, or if you should make them interact with others. I would also be curious to know how you might go about encouraging that. So I think that's a very common occurrence, and I appreciate that question. That's very down in the trenches. 
So likely most of our listeners have encountered that student who just doesn't want to interact with others, whether it's at recess or an activity. And it can be really frustrating. I've seen the frustration in other students because they aren't sure how to react to that. They don't know why that student doesn't want to play with them. And as teachers, you know, what do we do? Should we ignore it? Should we require they go play? I would love it if you have any thoughts on that, especially in light of what we just discussed. Yeah, that that is such a great question. You know, and truthfully, I wish I had a one cookie cutter answer for that. Um, truly, it takes a lot of reflection to make a decision. And I've had this numerous times in my classroom and I've done it the right way and the wrong way, in my opinion, and I'm still always trying to tweak it. But first of all, I think you need to reflect case by case. You need to look at the child. Like, what is the situation? Um, does the child appear happy by themselves? You know, how are they reflecting it in their personality and their demeanor? I have some students that just want to be by themselves. And as I started to reflect on it and think about it, I was like, oh, but I know that child's background. That child has a large family or they're always socially active. So then they get into the classroom and what do they want to do? They sometimes just enjoy going off by themselves. So you have to think about what is that child's needs and reflect first on the child a lot and just think about their background and what may be going on. I also, when I talked about how is a child displaying their emotions? Are they happy? Are they sad? Maybe they're angry. Maybe they're scared. I have to stop and think about that a lot. I have had one little boy that was so shy that it was paralyzing. He did not even know where to begin to interact and walking over trying to help him, you know, oh, let's go talk to this friend. It made it worse. So I had to step back and I felt so helpless. But then I realized that that child needed to be with another certain child. They needed to be somebody that was maybe more low key crowd. They needed to just sit back and observe for a while. And I had to be okay with that and had to be respectful of their personality and that they just were not as outgoing. They were just they were happy to just sit back and observe. So sometimes it's just giving time and knowing what that child may may need. It's not always going to be the same for every single child. Sometimes I have walked into a center time, I've sat down or been out at recess field and I get going and I talk with them and it works. I start asking the right questions. I get them engaged in an idea and they're, there they go. They take off running and playing or they're Next thing you know, they're interacting within a center. Sometimes it happens and it works out beautifully. But you really are going to have to read the cues of the child because if a child is not comfortable, trying to force a child to play is not going to help the child in the long run. Also, you need to think about the age of the child, um, especially with early childhood. I have to think about that a lot because developmentally things happen so quickly. We go from playing independently to more of a parallel play where they're just playing alongside of each other. They really don't care what the other's doing unless they want to observe. They're just more there interacting, maybe with the same toys, but really not with each other. So some of the younger children may tend to not be ready or at the same level of interaction as another child might be. Some children may not, like I come back to that that statement that I made earlier about parents saying, I'm sending my child to school for social skills. Well, it may be that that child hasn't had a lot of social interaction yet and may just not know how to engage in play. So absolutely facilitate if you can. Get in there and ask questions if the child's comfortable. But I would never force a child if they are truly scared. I would try to find a way to help them be in a great setting or in a way to observe. So hopefully over time, 
they will begin to become comfortable and interact on their own. And I've done that a number of times. The student I was talking about earlier, where he was just paralyzed by fear. It took about half of a year for him to actually be comfortable to fully engage with a child. But he was completely happy being on his own, just sitting in a safe place, maybe playing with a toy quietly by himself. And so I just tried to help think about who I who he was playing with, maybe where he was in the classroom or where he was during a certain playtime. These are just things and questions you're going to have to ask. So really case by case, but you, I would never personally force a child to play if they're uncomfortable with it because it's just going to set you back. But if you can facilitate it, ask questions. Another thing you may find, too, is I get a lot of the students who want to interact only with adults. Well, that doesn't work in the classroom all the time. And it may be because that child's only interactions are with adults. It may be that their type of play is being told exactly what to do or how to do it. They don't know how to practice some of those skills on their own. So sometimes it may take you stepping in and saying, "Okay, going to help and giving them questions and ideas. But then over time, slowly beginning to step back. So yeah, really case by case, but that's a great question because that's something we are faced with. I know I'm faced with every single year in trying to get all my children to engage. And I think it's important that children engage. They need to be engaging socially, but that's going to be a different pace for every child and it's going to be in a different way. So yeah, absolutely. Those are great insights. And I think I echo what you said, what first popped into my head is it's really important to find out the situation, the why, and they may not be able to always verbalize the why, but if there's a bullying issue or a health issue or whatever else, it's really helpful to know that before, like you said, before we jump in and try to solve this. And if it's a developmental issue, then maybe that's something that needs to be addressed through maybe occupational therapy or, you know, bringing them along another way other than just forcing them to go play. And like you said, if it's shyness, Maybe just giving them a student buddy who's not going to overwhelm them, but can just compassionately parallel play with them until they're ready to to interact in a you know in a more meaningful way. And I think just in any of these cases, giving intentional opportunities for interaction and for successful interaction is just really important, and we can facilitate that. So I don't know if you had any other thoughts. Yeah, and when I talked about how I introduce my center times and those play times, one of the things I love to do and I start with at the start of the year is I don't just let my students go running in and just choose whatever they want to do. I do try to pair off students and give them an opportunity to rotate through the entire classroom through all my various play areas. And I try to give them an opportunity to interact with every student at some point, especially those beginning months, because that really is going to help me to know how to help students connect with different peers. You know, maybe there's different times that I can facilitate them working together. But I also appreciate what you said about, you know, health-wise as well, too, or whether we have to get, you know, our OTs involved or things like that as well. I've had to do that a lot. And it's so insightful if you have those type of resources where you can talk to people as well. Those are absolutely crucial. I had one little girl that turned out to be a health problem. She was basically crashing by playtime because she needed snack by a certain time. And when I changed up that, she was able to function and just jump in. So observations are key. You can't just as a teacher say, okay, playtime, free time, I'm going to go prep the next thing. Yes, sometimes we have to step away and go prep, but we really need to use those times to observe and help our students engage because it's going to help us 
so much in learning what our child's needs are. And it's even going to help us in our instructional time when we use those play times to see their interactions with each other, how they do independently, how they do with the teacher as well. So it's just, it's absolutely crucial that we just, as teachers, take time to observe and not just kind of leave that so open-ended that we don't utilize that to help support the child. Yeah, very insightful. Very insightful. Just that question, as well as everything else you've shared today, Rebecca. So thank you for your time. Thank you for being with us. You, I know our listeners have just really gathered a lot from what you've shared today. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. And thank you, Kelly. I appreciate you taking time to call in and share your question. That was a great question, and it really initiated some good discussion. So this has been yet another practical episode on the Teacher Edition podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you were challenged and encouraged as I was. Remember to go to teacheredishonpodcast.com to submit your questions for upcoming episodes. Of course, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media. Now, it's time to get back to your day, but it's not just any day. Every day in the classroom is your day to impact and inspire through God's power and through His grace working in you. Go do what God has called you to do. 